Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello, hello, fellow friendly Agorians. We are back with another conversation with uh today we have uh Kurt atkins i think uh you've probably already seen some posts on on uh, on his profile uh with uh from the help of of course none other than um uh, scott um who has been um you know always the one putting out all the the important messaging when we have uh great conversations like this for you um so um i'm gonna just bring in david because he's gonna do a bit of an intro um and uh we're gonna jump right into it hello Hey Brent, how are you? Do you see me correctly? Because I actually just see a still frame of your face. Uh, I see you fine. Okay, perfect. And you're so connected I'm... to the actual like wired internet today. I I should be, but as soon as we start the discussion, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that all my oh, settings okay. are okay. are fine. You know, it's a never-ending battle, me and mm. Wi-Fi and the mm. internet. But then, anyway. Mm. Yeah, exciting. I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation that we, we've been talking for uh, some time of having Kirby uh, Atkins with uh, with us. So that'll be, uh, yeah, very looking forward to it. Um, so for those that might not be familiar with uh, uh, Kirby, actually started uh, as a character animator in the uh, 90s, worked at Leica for a couple of years, uh, then did a little bit of uh, writing and directing came back to animation, worked at Sony and Weta. And at some point, he had this uh, crazy idea of making his own uh, animated feature. <laughs> and by saying his own, I mean writing, directing, doing all of the storyboard, being involved in you know, financing and all that. So that's going to be super interesting to uh, uh, explore um, uh, as a topic. Uh, and he's now the uh, head of development at uh, Brazen. So a uh, lots of value, hopefully, we can bring with this discussion today to um, our audience. Yeah, lots of obviously. There's a there was a learning curve there, so I'm I'm particularly interested to hear all of the um, the craziness that ensued for him to be able to accomplish such a tall and glorious goal. So let's bring him in and uh, pick his brain. Hello. Hello. We're, we, we were just talking about you. I don't know if you know. But yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the conversation, my friend. Uh, uh, awesome. sure. It's good to be here. So, yeah, let's do this. We have the habit of diving right uh, uh, into some uh, topics, and, and and for my side, I mean, let's. Uh, I'm very tempted to just start with the the main course of of what we we'd like to discuss and dive right away into the uh, production of mo uh, mostly uh, your animated feature. Uh, so. Let's say for those that might not have had the chance of um, uh, seeing it or, or being aware of it, I would say, where, how did it start? It? 
just the idea itself of hey what if i you know write my own movie and do it because you know this is how it's done right <laughs> yeah well it, it's interesting because it uh these things everybody gets into this business for different reasons you know i mean some people love just animation and they love to just they love to Uh, just study movement and get into the minutia of, of acting for animation or effects or whatever. And for me, it, it was always just a means to an end because I wanted to, I had just a bazillion stories in my head. And, uh, and as you guys know, I'm sure anybody who works in this knows is that there is something that I think uh, uh Camus called uh, the gentle indifference of the world, which is basically that the world just doesn't really care if you have an idea or not, and, uh, and or if you have a story, if you have a movie, or if you have something. And so it's it's interesting because either that either that indifference that the world has toward you and your ideas and all the and telling your own stories and all that kind of stuff, either that's enough to squash the uh the enthusiasm you have to do it or or the enthusiasm you have to do it uh can outlive just a bazillion discouragements that that way and uh for me it was always just the fact that i had movies playing in my head and i and i could draw and i could act a little bit and so i just thought I'm just going to start, I'm just going to start making this thing. I'm just going to, and I'm just going to make it. And it, and for me, I, I had been just real quickly, I'd, I'd been directing on the Jimmy Neutron TV show for Nickelodeon. I was at DNA studios for a while. So I was doing some of this stuff, but I was mainly, and I was writing scripts. I, my big sell, sell was to Robert De Niro. Uh, I sold a script to, to his company, Tribeca. And usually the thing was, so I was I had two careers going on at the same time. I was animating and directing a TV show, but I was also writing spec scripts for features. The thing that would always just blow my mind is how after I wrote these things, they would go into the machine of the industry and be turned into hamburger. You just <laughs> recognize what you had made anymore, you know, after it had gone through so much of a process. And so I always felt like, as an artist, as a creative person, I always felt like there's got to be one thing that I'm going to do the way that I want to do it. Because the, the movie playing in my head, it's a good movie. I'm, I, I'm seeing it all the time. I take long showers and long walks and I see this movie in my head and I know it's, it's good. And so uh, I, I've got to dig my heels in and at least do one thing one part of my creative life that I'm not just going to hand over like a sacrifice to the machine and have it be turned into something that I don't want it to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but again, the only way you can really do that is to, to not ask permission mm -hmm. from anybody and not wait for somebody to hand you $20 million or whatever. You just start, you just actually just need to start making it and you just need to have enough have enough sort of respect for your own idea that you that whatever whatever amount of work you're willing to put into other people's stuff you need to be able to at least put that much work into your own stuff and uh so i pretty much started creating the film through storyboards 
and I was writing as I was doing storyboards. I would I would write, I would make a sequence, I'd see if it played, just to me. And uh, and before long, the the thing started to be, to play. It started to really play nicely. Yeah. And I uh, my daughter, I created these these creatures called thorophants, which were uh, the the idea of Mosley is that basically we have these creatures that four-footed creatures that are beasts of burden and work out in the fields for farmers and whatnot. And they discovered that their ancestors used to walk upright and have hands. <laughs> and so what, uh, what happened to cause these creatures to de-evolve? So I, I, I needed voices for the animatic. Obviously you need voices to do that. And so I got my seven, six year old at the time daughter to, cause she, she was in my office with me. <laughs> And I would be drawing and she would be drawing too. She'd be drawing. She knew the story backwards and forwards, just like any storybook that we would read to her at night. Hmm. And so I thought, let, I'm just going to get a microphone. Yeah, on awesome. the floor. I'm going to get on the floor and we're going to play the story. And just like if you get Robin Williams in the sound booth and he starts making crap up, you know, and it's like, oh, that's great. Well, she would do that. She's six and she has, she doesn't know she's acting. She's playing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Playing. Yeah. And what was coming out of that was so great that I actually, I actually just rewrote the script as she would do these different asides and stuff. And, and the chemistry just between us playing off of each other, me and I'm improv with a six year old kid, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it started to play really well. And so long story short, uh, I had, I made the entire mo movie in boards and with me and friends doing voices and, it, particularly me and my daughter doing the main voice and one thing le leads to another and i the new zealand film commission and china film group are wanting to do a co-production uh people are turning in scripts for animation but i didn't have i had not only a script i had a whole, i actually had the movie and so it's it's sort of steve martin says this thing and i think it's completely true when you're dealing with the gentle indifference of the world to your work is that you've got to be so good. You've got to make something so good that it's more work for them to ignore you. <laughs> and so you make, you make it and you make it as good as you can make it. And you make it so good that they actually have to work harder mm. to ignore mm. that you exist. And so it was to the point to where they were like, it needs to be a no brainer. People need to look at it and they go, well, yeah. yeah. Sure. How, how is this movie not already made? How are we not making this? And so yeah. that you, you end up sort of solving those problems about getting through the gatekeepers and all that other stuff by yeah. just having this work ethic that you're go that you believe in your own stuff as much as you believe in some as much as you believe in some franchise that already exists. You have to believe in it that much, you know. Otherwise, yeah. I think you're just going to get too discouraged. It's such a long journey. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like just to take a, a step back and come back to what you mentioned of, you know, your uh, there was some uh, your script that was uh, purchased by uh, Robert De, De, De Niro uh, company. For those that are not aware at all of how it works in the industry when mm -hmm. a script is, is purchased or, you know, there's an order for a script. And how would you de describe the mechanism of how? from an idea to a script to something that would maybe eventually green, greenlit. What are your observations of how this entire thing is working in general? Well, yeah, well, I tell you, uh, it was a spec, and specs don't sell anymore. They're, they're called spec script, where you basically have an original mm -hmm. idea, 
and you write the script and then you, you know, I guess the hard part a lot is to get an agent and to do Mm -hmm. all these things so that they're shopping it around. Uh, It was a different world back in the uh, early 2000s, late 90s when I did that. Uh, to the point where people were buying original uh, <clears throat> stories more. Now it's now we're doing multiverses of Spider-Man and Batman. I mean, how many, how many of these things are we going to get before we yeah. level bursts on that thing? Yeah. And, and so for me, I, I like the idea of going to a movie and it's a completely original thing, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it before. I still I still think that that is important. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in a lot of ways, it. I, I had I had an idea. Uh, I wrote it out. The, the hard thing when you're writing a script is you're like going, who is this for? You're asking mm-hmm. yourself this question constantly. Who cares that I'm doing this? You know, mm-hmm. because it's just this private world. It's a very, very private world to where you are going through acts and characters and story arcs and all these things. And you don't know that and you're making a bet that somebody is going to give a crap. Mm-hmm. You finished. Right. And and the general rule is if it moves you and you it 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 speaks to you, there's it's probably gonna speak to somebody else too. Mm. But you just have to you just have to you have to weather that uh that that part of the process so that you have a thing. I think a lot of people start projects, they just never finish them. And and so the big the big challenge is you gotta finish it. You gotta finish the thing you're working on. You have to finish mm. it. Because you can't go out and shop just an idea like, hey, I got an idea. Will you, will you pay me to write the script? Mm, no, the answer, not anymore. The answer is going to be no. No, yeah. we're not going to pay you to write the script. So you yeah. do it. You do it. You make it. to the And you you put it in such a form that when you deliver it to somebody, they're they're taken aback by it. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, this is kind of cool. And why shouldn't we do this? And so, it, so I... I I ended up just writing these stories that, uh, and I sold two. I sold a script to Miramax. I, sc- I sold that one to Robert De Niro. Never met Robert De Niro, by the way. <laughs> but, but he but he bought my script. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and, and, fame. And when you mentioned it, it, it got turned into a hamburger. How, how what, what did you meant by by? Well, Robert? there was a guy at DreamWorks who uh, who was who was attached <clears throat> to direct it. I wasn't going to direct it. They <laughs> didn't they didn't want me to direct it. They want to buy your script, give you money, and you go away. <laughs> go away, mm-hmm. and and they'll still pay you, you know. And and so they'll. It's a weird, weird how they pay you because they'll buy the op, they'll option the script. They'll usually ask you to do a rewrite and work with the director to mm-hmm. rewrite it according to his vision and specifications. Well, I did that, and they liked my rewrite, but then the director wanted to do a rewrite. And then at one point in the mail, this is when we still got things in the mail, I guess, I got a script of the director's rewrite of my script. Oh, boy. And I read it, and I'm like going, I don't know why they're still paying me. This doesn't... Yeah, unrecognizable. This doesn't look like anything that I made, you know? And I'll take take the money, but but it it ends up going to where you're like, how is this... uh, How is this... uh, um, can I keep doing this or is, is this what my creative authorial life is going to be mm. is writing stuff that by the end of the process and filmmaking is a collaborative process. It, mm. it, it can't be anything else there. You got hundreds of people working for you, but the, the films that I love, particularly in animation, if you think about the ones that we all love the most, like 
Brad Bird, The Incredibles, right? That That is Brad Bird ba- basically taking the entire machine of the studio system of making a film. And so hundreds of people working on this thing. And yet, nevertheless, you still feel like Brad Bird's voice is coming out of the script. You still feel like it's a personal thing. One guy sharing his gut with you. And that story is basically a metaphor of a man going through a midlife crisis. We're looking at Brad Bird telling you about his midlife. (laughs) That's what that is. And that's why it means so much to us, because it feels like the director's it doesn't feel like a corporate. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like a corporate product. It feels like Brad Bird's talking to you and he's using the mechanism of, of a gigantic machine of the industry. of the movies but you don't Mm -hmm. feel like he is lost at any point Mm -hmm. in that process you feel like this voice is absolutely present that's the challenge i think so i I can understand that a uh, a brad bird has the 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 weight and the reputation to stick to his vision and how did kirby atkins with his (laughs) his first movie has been able to weather the storm and because i don't think that your script has been alterated that much by uh, the, the production uh, from your er- original vision, right? Not much, mainly because for, for a lot of reasons, I think the more money that you have and you're the, when you're working with a gigantic studio, mostly only costs $20 million, which is not a lot for an animated film. And so I had to be very intentional about where the money went so that it, it, it was on the screen and you felt like the production value was just top. And, uh, but I've been a part, and I'm sure you guys have been a part of a lot of films to where they'll recast a main character after they've gone into production or animation mm-hmm. will begin on a sequence and then they'll rewrite that sequence. And you got to, and that costs money. That costs a lot of money. That's never happened to me ever before. I was just always stunned, even just on the animatic level, how they would lock the animatic and then they would just dig up all the foundations again, based upon some focus group or something like that. And so the the great thing was that I, uh, because I had solved the major problem story-wise in private, uh, in a private process, making this myself, that put, when, when it was time to screen this to people, what I, my goal was is I wanted the executives and the financiers to sit down in the screening room, forget they were watching an animal. I wanted them to get so engrossed in the film as if it, and forget that they were looking at drawings. And basically by the end of it, I wanted them to go, Oh, well, that's great. I, I actually cried at the end of it and let's go. I mean, what do we need to do? So we actually skipped a whole lot of uh, what is redundant sort of pre-production. Uh, and we got to sort I got to sort of make this in a, in a private, in a private way. And also I had to sort of have a producer's hat on too, because I had to think, uh, how am I going to keep this cost? Because if I start spending, if I start going over budget, you're done. You, you, mm-hmm. you've, got to, you've got to be more serious about staying in those brackets than the producers are, because they'll cut your feet out from under you if they, if they feel like you're getting scope creep on this thing and and you and so in a lot of ways it was uh but there was a lot of luck involved too miramax uh, not miramax uh uh well the weinstein company was going to distribute the film at the beginning before harvey weinstein got into a lot of trouble and one of the odd lucky things 
I got to play the I got to play the main character in the film too with my daughter, and uh, so I voiced the character of Mosley as well. And the only reason why they didn't cast somebody else in that thing was because uh, Harvey Weinstein watched the animatic, and he saw this dynamic between me and my daughter, and he's like, "Well, why do we don't want to? If that's not broke, you don't fix it, right?" So we'll just front load the rest of the cast with names that people know and keep this guy playing Mosley. So I got to play, I got to play the lead in the film too. But, but again, but again, it all has to do with the fact that you have to, or that for me, it was a matter of, I wanted it. I wanted, I wanted when I presented it to whoever was putting the money up, I wanted to present it in a way to where all that they were giving me was the best possible feedback. Hmm. So you have to be your own. You have to be very critical of your work before it becomes public, and you have to then fix the problems yourself. Get to there before. If somebody says, "Well, it's not. We need a lighter moment here in this sequence because it's getting awful dark." Well, I, I need to be ahead of that. I need to know that that, and and fix that before it it becomes a note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And yeah. so in that, in that regard, I got to, by doing this sort of stuff in a private way before there was any money involved, I kind of solved a lot mm-hmm. of those bigger problems before yeah. we, they started spending a lot. Yeah, this is usually why many productions are so expensive because it's like a house of cards. I mean, you remove this little part here, all of this is crumbling. As you're fixing this, this other thing, and, and, and you know, one thing is leading to another, and then you haven't a couple sequence to fix and you're already on a payroll with a hundred artists that are rolling their, their thumb. Uh, but uh, I got to say for, for those, you still have some of those animatic, right? On your, uh, on your website. I, if, do, yeah. uh, I mean, so you, yeah, if you go to the, if you go to kirbyatkins.com, you can see actual sequences of the film as they yeah. existed in animatic form. So. And I got to say just the way that you've edited those, those sequence with the, with, with the sound, with the parallax, with the little motion and all that you, I mean, you see the sequence and you, you see exactly where uh, uh, it is going. Uh, I mean, Alberto Mielgo is another director I have in mind that is creating those storyboard or those animatic sequences like yep that just let's let's do that and it'll it'll be great uh how uh was it part of your initial master plan to do animatic for the entire movie or it's just because the amount of years that it was in between the writing and getting money they're like well might as well storyboard the entire thing if i have some time all right well here here's here's the here's the thing so (laughs) is so I recorded my daughter, who who's still in the movie and is one of the main characters in the movie at six years old, and just one beautiful little performance, right? Six years old. Uh, by the time we started actual physical production on the film, she was going to college. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that's resilience. <laughs> that that's how long it took. And so I and I still had all these audio recordings of her that I did on the floor with a cheap mic. And then we also have John Reese davies who's Gimli in Lord of the Rings. We have Lucy Lawless, who's Xena Warrior Princess. We have Reese Darby. We have Tamara Morrison, who's Boba Fett. And, and all these guys are, profet- are getting their audio recorded professionally in Auckland. And then I hand over this video <laughs> of my daughter and go, can you clean it up and fix it? Because, and of course they want to go, well, no, no, let's just re- 
it's just recorded again. We'll find another kid. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is what made the movie work. Yeah. This is what yeah. made the movie work. And so I'm going to count on you geniuses to clean it up and make it sound like it belongs up there with John Reese Davies and hmm. all these guys. And they did. I mean, they can yeah. do this. And I've, I've, I've got to say it doesn't show it, or it, I couldn't hear the difference. That's yeah. Amazing. I mean, and, and so why would you, why would you gut what is working? Hmm. You know, you don't do that. The, the thing. Yeah. It's like do, the soul of the film, right. In exactly, many ways. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that is the thing that I kept believe I had to believe in for God. 15 years right mm. that this works and uh it's just a matter of it's really waiting for the world to catch up with what you already know yeah it's so funny this this topic because i i feel like i've talked about this in many different ways and different angles because it's like a, a theme that comes up in life a lot it's the the idea that like real true true creativity unfortunately and especially today's day and age goes through a very technical process to get done and so people will always speak up in their you know the experts and the experts are going to be like well we can't possibly put this out like this because of this and because of that and because of like frequencies and like and frames per second and like honest to god at the end of the day when you go through enough of those changes just to make it technically precise it's no longer like the 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 the, the reason like the raison d'être is completely divorced from the actual property that actually ships you see that you see my french david not bad huh not too bad pretty good pretty yeah, good yeah, yeah. that's absolutely like true and and the fact that we put on these films we put so much spit and polish on yeah it that we that we polish it to the point where it doesn't have any yeah i know it's like it's just polish and it's no longer where's the substance polish. right yeah absolutely and you what you want what what an audience wants is they want to feel connectivity totally to characters and to yep. situations but yep. this, this was also true in in regard to certain aspects of the tone of the film because there's certain parts that i wanted to feel like there's a fight at the end of the movie and i didn't there's a big fight at the end of the movie and I didn't want that fight to feel like a fight in a cartoon. I wanted to feel like you really, I wanted to feel like a fight where somebody could get hurt. Right. Uh, and in order to do that, it had to get dark and it had to get scary. And, and, and then there's a big, you know, uh, feel good moment toward the end, but I kept having to really convince the financiers and producers we can't just it's sort of like telling a joke and and just saying let's forget the setup let's just get i'll just cut to the chase and give you the punchline hmm. it's like well that, that's not a joke then you have to do the setup and then the punchline totally. and 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 so we think in order for the highs to be high the low and the lows got to be low if you're too scared that the lows are too low and you start then then the highs aren't hmm. gonna, and, and everything hmm. tastes the same yeah. So that you have to have contrast, and and they were worried they they'd be worried at times that things were getting too scary or too dark, and I'm like going, but if we don't go deep in that hole, mm -hmm. when we shoot when we shoot out of that hole, it's not going to feel as good. Totally. So, and so I and they would go, and they would agree with me, but they're they'd be going, yeah, but we haven't seen any but anything like this before, and I'm like, that's great. Why is that wrong? Why is that bad? <laughs> Yeah, sounds like a good thing to me. People are, people, are, people are, and I understand it's a lot of money. People are totally for these films. Yep. I completely get it, and it's a risk. And so, in order for these folks who finance these films to feel like the risk gets lower, they just want to do what was successful last time. 
They just want to repeat the last yeah. thing that they That's saw. It. Successful. And so risk I, mitigation, I right? I sympathize with that, but yeah. we also need to encourage these folks that trust me, this this will feel the audience will respond to this, but we really have to be true to any given moment in the film. If the moment is a serious moment, let's not betray it with a laugh. Let's mm-hmm. let it be, let it be what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and then let's earn the laugh and let's earn the dramatic moments. And let's, and why can't animated films do this? Why, why do we think, well, that's every other piece of cinema, but animated films have to uh, cater to the youngest audience and have a fart joke in there. Why? Who said that that has to. Hey man, fart people jokes people are hilarious, Kirby. I'm, I'm, <laughs> lay off, lay off the fart joke hate. Okay. <laughs> Jeez, because there are some movies with fart joke that made more than a billion in box office. So that, that's that, that, that's probably yeah. the main reason exactly. why fart jokes. Because statistics. That's why. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, Kirby. I, I, I there's something I wanted to ask you going into this conversation, and I think this is a good time to talk about it um, because you talked about money and like mitigating risk, and I mean. I find it interesting because like, yes, there are a lot of people, a lot of investors who lean a line up to be able to provide the money to produce a, a, a film like this. And, and it, it requires obviously a filmmaker like yourself to try to protect it as it goes through that process in many ways. Right. And then they need to trust you. There's a lot of things that need to go right for a good film to get out there. But I think that like you touched on it earlier, the beginning, like the nucleus of this, um, it required you to kind of pro bono this thing. You you did a lot of time and a lot of energy and in like a lot of emotional, personal energy, you know, including your daughter to put lay down the fabric that inevitably led to people being interested. Or like you said, it was too much of trouble to ignore because it was just too, too good to ignore, right? So I'm just curious, like how do you in your mind manage that level of, you know, time commitment? Cause you all, you, you're a dad, you're a family man. You've got, you got a, you got a job. Like where do you, how could you have possibly put that time together and how could you justify it in your mind? Cause it could have very easily, the, st- the, the odds were not in your favor. This could have very easily not gotten made. So how do you, like, how did you, you know, parse that or, in your mind? Or, or it could have blown up in my face midway. Sure. So <laughs> lots of things yeah, could happen. I would have nightmares of, of Orson Welles <laughs> and Richard Williams telling me do not put too much of yourself into your own work Mm. uh diversify your portfolio damn it i mean don't Mm. you know uh don't don't put your don't put too much of your own heart in because you're gonna get your heart broken right yet (laughs) yeah and and i gotta say and i got friends who were teachers professors and doctors and i often envy their path because Hey, you get this degree, you jump through this hoop, you're a doctor. Congratulations. Mm. That's all you got to do. It's, mm. it's it, the path in this business, it's not that way at all. It, uh, if you're going to be a creative person, mm. you don't get those well worn, yeah. those, those career paths already set for you. If yep. you get this degree, if you go through this program, you are that, you get to be that thing. That's so true. In, create, in creative life, that is not the case. That's and so true. It, it And so I've never known any director, I've never known any artist, I've never known any filmmaker who you repeat their path and you get to do yeah. that job. Yeah. Everybody has to dig their own, dig their own niche out and, and 
you know, make their own slot and then fill that slot. You there, the sl there are no pre-dug slots for you. You have to. There's no other way to do it. I wish there were. I like I say, I envy my friends who are not in this business for how predictable the path is for them. But it's not so. To enter into a creative life, to decide that this is what you're going to do, you need to. You can't just hate the chaos. You you've got to see it as just. Because if you do, if you keep waiting for something to come along that's predictable, mm. you, you've got to, and that's why they, as they say, if you're going to get into stand-up comedy or something like that, if you can do anything else, if you could be happy doing anything else, God, do that. I mean, <laughs> but, but the fact is, is that I could do a lot of other work and the whole time I'd be doing different work, I would have movies playing in my head mm. and I'd be going... I would be entertaining myself with my own private stories and I'd just be looking and, and I'd be groping for an outlet, some place to put that. Right? Mm, yeah. And so I think, unfortunately, that is the only way that this works mm. is that you really do have to, uh, you do have to get comfortable. And here's another thing too, is I think, I do. I really do think that if you keep waiting for that moment where somebody's going to give you a million dollars or whatever to do your thing, uh, you're just your heart's going to get broken too many times. It's, it's all rejection, rejection, rejection. No, 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 no. So you better love doing it mm. for other reasons besides right. that day that it all works together. You better love the process of it. You better. Mm, yeah. You bet. You better love putting that story together in private. You, yeah. you better get enough joy out of that. Yeah. In private to keep you going. Cause if you're only waiting for that day when it pays off, mm. then you're then I mean, how much disappointment how much heartbreak can you live with? And yeah, it, it's a finite amount. You know? It's interesting because you kind of turned that whole project into this fun journey with your daughter which I'm sure you're going to cherish for the rest of your life because I mean, like she was six, like what a precious time to be spending that kind of time creatively with your daughter. At the end of the day, if it all blew up, you would have at least been left with that beautiful memory of building a, a story with her. Right. So it's ended up being a time capsule for our family. Yeah. And, and yeah. oddly enough, a metaphor for, uh, I mean, the whole, the whole story ended up being a metaphor for our family going through the process of trying to make the story. Yeah. And, uh, and, but as I've told my wife, I can't do this a second time. I can make another thing, mm. but I can't have another kid <laughs> wait another 20 years, you know, and put, I can't put my, what am I going to put my grandkids in the next one? You know, I mean, it's, yes. uh, so the next thing will not be anything mm. close to what the first thing was. Yeah. You end up, you have to reinvent the wheel every yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. You got to drill a new drill a new uh like mine i guess right it's like you can't keep tapping the same vein over and over again and i do get encouragement when i do hear other directors and interviews with directors i don't know many very many directors so i i usually when i find these interviews del uh guillermo del toro hearing his uh interviews always encourages me because uh he seems to be able to articulate this stuff really well but it it is it is a sense that there is no film that is ever you never repeat the same process to make a different film uh you go through a whole different set of hurdles a whole new different set of challenges it's if it's a different film it's going to be a different process to make that film so mm -hmm. yeah i think this is why there's a lot of director that try to 
always work with the the the, the same team uh, the mm -hmm. the same dp the same editor maybe the same writing team uh, as well because there's already so much chaos that if at least you can go with your your team that you've been you know uh facing the storm before it's going to give you a little bit of confidence uh, Absolutely. Uh, that, that and, and I, I completely get why people do that directors carry certain actors with them uh into other projects because if you've got just one element that is familiar then and it doesn't just feel like complete chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I also really like when you mentioned that, you know, uh, it's as being creative people, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it's great to have all of those ideas in, in our head, but at the same time, and, you know, when you mentioned that you have this movie and yeah, you could be a doctor, but you would have all those ideas and be like, ah, the, the frustration of not being able to express them uh, creatively. I mean, it, it's one of the uh, reason as well when we started uh, Agora and even Agora community with uh, Brent and the others, it was like, if why are we doing this because if we don't we're going to hate ourselves because either someone else is going to do it or it's just never going to happen and we'll always have regrets of why have we not done this uh, this thing so Absolutely. at some point it's because you're motivated and inspired to do it it's also because you fear that if you don't do it you're going to regret it absolutely and i think jim carrey put it this way he said you can also fail at what you hate doing <laughs> Which is, Very true. and i think he's referring to his dad who was a real creative guy and yet he ended up being having some stupid job and he was horrible at it mm. and, and so if you're gonna fail at least yeah. fail doing the yeah. thing you love i mean totally totally I mean, totally fail doing the thing you hate and yeah. so that doesn't sound like very much fun no let's no. i mean and and there's a certain point where you have to embrace all right this is the life so Let's go. Let's go. Let's play ball. You know, let's make stuff. If we're storytellers, let's tell stories. Come hell or high water, by hook or by crook, we're going to tell some damn stories. And the world can pay attention if they want. And if they don't, they don't. But they probably will if we're loving this and, mm. and as much as we love it. Yeah. Somebody's going to pay attention. And so you, you, so you just keep doing it with that kind of motivation behind it. So. Yeah. During the entire, uh, I'm curious, inter during the entire process of uh, Moses production, I'm curious to know when did you feel the most out of your comfort zone? <laughs> well, I, I, uh, <laughs> I directing, I thought, uh, well, in the, pro in the actual physical production process, I knew the least about lighting mm. and, and lighting and comp. And so mm -hmm. I, I was really depending on other people to uh, I knew what looked right. And I would grab frames of other films and I'd say this. What, what do we do? How do we get there? And mm -hmm. uh, but lighting a comp just as far as a process uh, was the most foreign to me. The thing that was scary, but cool, I got to say, was when uh, I had John Reese davies who's Gimli and Lord of the Rings. He's in Indiana Jones, all these films. I had Reese Darby. And my I and Lucy Wallace and I only had them all for three days. <laughs> I had no callbacks, right? Wow. And so no, no pressure. But I no safety I, net. <laughs> but I, it was they either have them for three days. I had to make this is a choice that you got to make. This these are scary choices where you're like going, look, you can have them for virtually unlimited days and callbacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm never going to be in the room to get exactly. Them. I knew you were going to say that. And I'm and I'm like, damn that I've seen that. I mm. need these people in the room mm. together. 
if yeah. I'm going to get the juice that I need out of, out of yeah. any particular moment. And so I t- made a decision, an executive decision that, okay, I choose to not have, I choose to only have them for this amount of time, but I want them all in the room together. And, uh, and I was acting with them at the same time. So I'm, I'm not only directing their performance, but I'm acting with them in the scene. And uh, so, but there was this great moment. There was this great, there were a couple of great moments with John Reese Davies, who is, you guys know him, he's Gimli and he's mm-hmm. in, in uh, Indiana Jones. And so we're doing this intense scene together. And so I'm, and it's a very emotional scene and I'm looking at his hands while he's reading i'm just looking at his hands hmm. for some reason and, I'm, and those are the hands that picked up the lost ark with him. <laughs> that's awesome and why like, would you intimidate yourself like that that's crazy because i'm like going oh my god I'm, i go going kirby you can you can you can wig out later right now, <laughs> right now you've got to you've got to mm. get this scene done you can yeah. hero worship later it's time you've got to do this job yeah and but he, he was great because there'd be a moment in the scene to where he'd go this isn't working for me what if we said it this way and then he would do it and i go yes let's do that you know and so uh and then i but in my mind i'm going now if he says that am i missing <laughs> something that's gonna yeah. later and and so it was the most exhausting three days oh, yeah. that i i've spent that i spent in production because it was get everything you need that you're going to be drawing from for the next year and a half right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you're going to be drawing from those three days for the next year and a half no callbacks i, I had to get everything then at that moment and lucky and there were a couple of weird moments in the editorial where we're like ah we didn't get that line yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm like well, what if we what if we, yeah. and we made it work my my editor kathy uh tune who was from pixar came to new zealand to help me on this and uh by the way i just had some we had a small crew uh but we had a great crew. I had Morgan Loomis from uh, Weta came and left. I mean, these guys left really great paying jobs to get paid almost half. Mm. But but it was the, their motivation was the same reason as me. It's like somebody needs to make a movie like this. Mm. This is our chance to make a movie like this. We always wish somebody would make. And then we can go back to our jobs that are paying <laughs> Money. yeah and they were great they were fantastic well i think th- those are all adding up to create a movie that has a lot of uh heart like uh mostly yeah. has because it's a story you know that is personal to you that you've been able to you know refine enough over time so it keeps the essence but you kind of fix all of the problem you're able to keep the voice of uh your, your daughter which then they do magic because i didn't notice at all that it was a a a bad recording and on top of that you have the actors in the booth together one of the first time i I heard because usually admitted features everyone is recording their voice and then they kind of put this together it was on surf's up and i felt that wow the you know the in between those penguin character it feels that there's something and it's afterwards that i saw that yeah well shia labeouf and jeff bridges were actually together in the booth and it was something that was not usual to have both actor to feed off each other's energy but it it's not like people can tell the difference but in terms of delivery energy emotion and all that it's it makes a difference so fantastic mr fox also did it with clooney and meryl streep was in that and uh but you can tell you it's palpable it's just palpable because 
acting is, as they say, reacting. It's, it's hearing what your friend is saying and giving a response to it. And, the, and the, the script keeps you on rails, but how you deliver your next line is dependent upon what that guy just said. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, and if you don't have that immediate, because uh, in animation we have to reverse engineer everything we do. If you get, if in a live action film you could put the the lens on an actor, and then he makes this decision to do this instead of this, and it's a spontaneous decision that he felt in the moment. Mm-hmm. And in animation we have to sort of create the illusion that that happened in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. it's this entire convoluted process to make that feel spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And so it is a weird way to tell stories and to, and to make movies. But we, you have to be almost doubly, you can't, you, you can't, uh, you have to create the illusion of spontaneity. Yeah. Uh, that people, that actors and, and are making choices in front of the lens at that moment, you know. Yeah. I think that's why it's important that you made the decision to have them all together so that you can actually capture that, those little moments that happen fleetingly um, and in- instinctively, reflexively, when there's good chemistry between the cast, they're going to come up with things that you would never possibly be able to think of when you're writing it. And so you want to capitalize on that, right? And so that then the animators can then perfect it and polish that. Absolutely. And and that's why in so many ways, when in animation we lose there you you don't have that feeling of uh that some that something happened that was uh that turned that turned the sequence because what what a great actor does is they'll take a moment and they and you realize you know this would be done in a live action film you wouldn't need that line Mm. all you need is the character to go like that and (laughs) and and you 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 see that when you got everybody in the room, you're like going, you know what, if you don't say a word, but in animation, we're going to make the character, we're going to reverse the angle and we're going to, even though the other guy's talking, we're on the person listening and he's digesting what he just heard. And it's more impactful Mm -hmm. and, and it's less wordy. It's less chatty. It's more impactful to the audience. And so you, Mm -hmm. as the director, the writer, the showrunner, whatever, you've got to, know the process so much that you're that you you don't the end thing that you want is something that is going to be the most impactful for the audience and you're thinking the most distilled way yeah to get there you know yeah yeah it's a very different process between animated feet uh, feature and film that you know film you can end up with 20 hours of rush and you kind of find the diamond in this pile of content as animation it's atom by atom that you assemble the little diamond <laughs> in a big old because it's so just by the nature of the process of making those uh, there's way less happy accident that can happen in an uh, animated feature that's for sure Absolutely. no doubt about it yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned uh, the lighting and compositing part how was the uh, uh, the discussion with the uh, composer for the music for for instance oh my god so I had better music than I deserved in this film. And my composer was Elaine Mayrand, who is from Canada. And he, uh, he, he wrote, he scored every bit of this film. And uh, he was, he was one stop shopping for me because he ended up being, uh, whereas he ended up telling the story in an impressionistic sort of way through the music and all that. But 
here's the thing is that we uh, usually, and you see in all the behind the scenes things with directors and whatnot, they get to go to the scoring session and they sit with the orchestra and they get all the chills and all this other kind of stuff. I didn't get to do that. So our, our, uh, we didn't have any money. Right. So, but I wanted to, I wanted to spend the money on a hundred piece orchestra and on a lane to run without weights on his legs. He could just make that music as big and beautiful as he could flying my ass to Budapest. Hmm. I could sit there and listen to it. Gave him nothing really. Uh, so I wanted, I wanted all that to be, so what we did was he was in Budapest with a hundred piece orchestra and I'm streaming this live video <laughs> from New Zealand. Uh, me and my wife are up at three in the morning watching <laughs> them conduct the orchestra. Elaine and I are chatting via Facebook messenger. He's directing the orchestra <clears throat> and it's just, my wife and I are just blown away even watching it streaming because we're seeing this gigantic orchestra play. And then after they finished the take, he would Facebook message me. <laughs> I love it. What was that, Kirby? Did you like that? And then I'm like furiously messaging back, looking at the screen, watching this hundred piece orchestra, waiting for my response. <laughs> and then, and then you see, then you see Elaine go, he liked it, you know, and and they all clap, and I'm oh, I'm, that's so funny. And then I get back, it's dark, and I get back in the car and go to bed, you know. Hmm. Uh, but that was, uh, you, that's the thing. You have to have a bullseye view. I had to be very careful because I, we could spend, we could spend some money flying me there, but that's, yeah. that's, yeah. I'm working for what this is going to be on the screen and what people are going to see. And, and now since then, and obviously if I ever get to direct a film where they do fly my ass over there, I'll be happy about that. That would be great. <laughs> that just wasn't an option that I had. And so, mm. and I wasn't about to lose any of the, of my financing to spend on things that nobody was going to appreciate sitting in. The yeah. Mm. So. yeah. M music is uh, adding such an emotional layer on uh, everything. How did you describe what was the conversation uh, early on just to describe what emotion needed to go in, in, in what place? Well, first of all, I, I love music. I love mov movie music. And I got my, my favorite Thomas Newman and, and these guys that I love, of course, John Williams is great. Uh, Randy Newman, all these guys uh, that do, do this. And so I would, I, when I put the animatic together, I basically took scores from other films and, uh, and, and made a soundtrack. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would, add, I would just add a soundtrack based upon other, I mean, I was borrowing from every movie you could imagine and putting it in there. And that worked sort of as a, and the mm -hmm. thing is you could fall in love with your temp track and that's not good. Mm -hmm. Cause it, mm -hmm. I, I, and so I had to make sure that this guy could write, he's not just copying other music. I want an original score, but in general, this is a moment in the film where it feels like this. And, and so he, he'd go great. And I said, now write something completely different, but that's, that's generally the feeling. What's interesting is, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Most of the references I have for these things are not animated films, uh, but there's this moment, uh, an old Dustin Hoffman film called Marathon. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. Yeah, uh, oh yeah for sure. Is it right. safe? Is it safe? Is it safe? It's just such a great, but there's a fight in that film. There's a fight in that film to where a guy <laughs> sneaks up behind a guy with a wire and gets him around his neck hmm. and the fight ensues. 
and there is no music in that fight. All yeah. you're hear, all so you're stressful. hearing, all you're hearing is the slap and the breathing, and there's no music, and you are on the edge of your seat because yeah. there's certain things that we expect in movies. The music gets da 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 da, da and there's a fight. But if you remove that, suddenly emotionally, it has this feeling to it that you feel like you're watching a flipping fight, and mm-hmm. you feel like, oh my God, somebody's going to get hurt. And there was a moment in Mosley where I was like, I know this isn't typical for an animated movie, but I want no music here. Hmm. And I want us just to feel the slap and collision of bodies and people trying to tear each other apart. And that was a decision. And he was like, well, but I could score that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) And so the temptation, it's always the temptation to just add another layer to Hmm. things. You know, you've got to fight. You've got this guy who's going to write music for it. But you have to say, well, there's just something I think when you're given this inexhaustible resources that you've, uh, you know, what is the the frame makes the art or limitation makes art. Mm. And so it is true that when you have limitations, you you suddenly get very creative. If you have if you have the world, the biggest budget films, usually the feel there's something about a, a fight in a big budget film through your eyes glaze over. Why is that, that at, that we, at should be the biggest moment of the film, you suddenly get bored. It's because there's spectacle everywhere. Yeah. Every corner of the frame is some totally expensive thing happening. Yeah. And the speakers are booming with music and it just feels like this onslaught. Right. Yeah. And what you want to mm-hmm. do is you want to target, for the you want to figure out what is needed here to get the most impact and what can you do that's unexpected so in a fight where you expect when the bodies collide that the music ramps up but instead you take the music out Hmm. and now you're feeling and then slowly you creep it back in as things change in the fight it's just these are these are this is fun this is fun stuff Cause this is, this is, we're telling, we're storytellers and we, we want the whole, the whole purpose of the movie is to make people feel things. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. We want people to feel things. And so we need to be master manipulators at how we make people feel things. And if at some point the process of piling one thing on top of another mm-hmm. erases that moment, then you have failed. Because you had too many choices and you got, and you lost your nerve, right? You got, you you need to, you need to know what you want. And then even though you could do a million things, you're going, yeah, but if I do all that stuff, it's going to take away from this thing. And so it's, it's this constant balancing act of seeing at what point in the movie does, just because I could do something, does that mean that that's the best thing I could do, you know? Yeah. yeah yeah it's got to take some discipline i guess and I, like you have to really know your film too like I, I like this idea of it also i i often when when this topic comes up i talk about i, I usually reference uh roller coasters because roller coasters right are designed to like w- imagine a roller coaster that doesn't go tick 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 oh, as yeah. you're, as you're mm-hmm. the you know you're anticipating the drop but the other funny thing about that is it's called physics <laughs> it's like <laughs> that is an important part of the actual ride to be able to function properly so it's about it's like designing something 
um, despite its weaknesses and turning those weaknesses into something that's actually got character and it can be exciting and there's all these other things. It's like uh, trying to... Um, Rather than just, you know, have it plasma, you know, you know, whatever, some sort of cool new anti-grav uh, propulsion system that's just constantly going all the time. And it's like, if you're always exhilarated, then how do you know what exhilaration is? It's like, it's like, it's becomes the same note the entire time, right? Even Tarantino, who is he's not my favorite filmmaker, but man, that guy can build a moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, he can. So, so that just even the very opening of Inglorious Bastards. Honestly. It's I all know. about just, all right, here comes this guy. They're going to sit down. They're going to have a drink. And it all is going to end up, as in, usually with Quentin Tarantino, with a lot of blood and, and guns, right? What? But that doesn't it, seem like him at all. It, it was just all guns and blood from the from beginning of the sequence. But no, he's mm. it's a tick, 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 tick. We're, what you remember about those moments is whether it's yep. in that pub and in Glorious Passes, where they're all playing the game where they put the paper on their heads or whatever it was. Yeah, it's building up to what oh, yeah. ended up being a very confrontational, violent sort of scenario. But totally, it's up. that's yep. why uh, we lost Norm Macdonald yesterday. Yes, we did. And, sadly, and, and Norm Macdonald could set up a joke. Oh yeah, master so well, and that's master. The and and so these things are all about setup and payoff, setup mm -hmm. and payoff. And if yeah. you if you don't give if you don't let the setup work as a setup, mm -hmm. if you're just so in a hurry to get to the flashbang moment, to totally. And that flashbang moment it will not flash or bang like <laughs> you want it to. So it's more like a. <laughs> you have to relish, you know. There's foreplay and then there's making love. There's flirting and there's whatever. And and we we flirt with mm -hmm. the audience. We make we wet their appetite for something. We create anticipation mm -hmm. and then we pay it off. And uh, and I think a lot of these films, particularly overprocessed stuff, which animation tends to by necessity mm -hmm. be. Uh, we lose we lose what our goal is, which is to mm. set things up, create anticipation, and pay them off. Mm. So. Yeah. Uh, everyone in, in chat, if you have some questions, that would be time to uh, put them. Uh, but uh, Kirby, I'm interested. Something that we haven't touched at all is what ha happens once the movie is actually done. Because the timing was, <laughs> was a little bit special on this one, mm. wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, usually uh, I've, I've been a part of films. I was part of one recently where, you know, you were finishing up the last bit of the movie. And then I swear like a week later, it's out, right? You're just getting this laugh. You, and then it bombed at the box <laughs> office, right? And so you're like, and Mosley has been a slow burn for me because we were released theatrically in New Zealand, Australia, and uh, and in South Africa and these other places. We were at Ottawa Film Festival. We were at uh, Annecy and all these places. And we're finally getting to our U.S. distribution, uh, which I'm very excited about. But, uh, uh, but the fact is, is I finished this film, oh my God, a year and a half ago. Hmm. And so, and it's fine. Now COVID's part of that. And like sure. James Bond finished how long ago? And it's finally going to be released soon. So COVID mm. has something to do with that. The other thing that has to do with that is it's an independently financed film. Mm. If I, and our distributor wasn't attached before I finished the film. So, uh, because the, of the Weinstein thing. Mm. 
-hmm. Now, again, we were talking about how to keep creative control. And that is a, it was a, <laughs> something that, that I'm not, I'm glad that happened because I didn't have a distributor writing my back saying, change the ending. It's too dark or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I finished the film and that, there you go. If you want to distribute it, you can distribute it. If you don't, don't. Uh, but, but they weren't writing my back because we hadn't made a deal with them. And so in that regard, I, I'm still waiting for the, uh, and anticipating and excited about our U S distributor uh, so that most everybody can finally see the film. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, was it work? Did I lose the instant gratification of all the hype that yes, but is, was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the movie, the movie is about 85, 90% what I always hoped it would be uh, good or like it or hate it. I'm, I, I'm very happy with how it turned out. I'm and drawing out the, uh, but Oh my God, just finishing it. I finishing it was like, how do you, what do I, what do you do now? You know, yeah. the, the answer is, is well, I got, a million other stories and yet like we just talked about before i know the journey to get those things done will be in a completely different journey to get those to get those done yeah. uh, the nice thing is is that mosley is done and uh i was just looking at a reminding myself of it uh just recently and looking at it and i'm going oh it still works yay it still works <laughs> a little bit of distance you know how it is you look at a drawing you did 10 years ago and you're going, Oh my God, I'm so much better now than I was then. Yeah. Hopefully that's what you think. It's worse when it's not that. Yeah. You were looking at a drawing you did and you're like, Oh my God, I was so much better back then. Well, the thing is, is my, my wife is not in this industry at all. And she, for me, represents the general audience. Right. And so I, I'll notice the thing, Oh, the lighting could have been a bit better. And she's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. That's cute as hell. And it works. Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, all right, I guess it does. So that's good. <laughs> and so you, 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 you do. I, I think somebody said that you never finish uh, a film. You just have to abandon it. Uh, you have to stop. Yeah. And, and so, yes, I could have tinkered on this thing forever. I'm glad, however, that there was a stop and, and I, I, it was weird. I was, I was feeling sick a few days after I did my last thing that I could do for it. And because uh, it's like you're tinkering and the doors coming. It's like Indiana Jones grabbing the hat as the thing goes down. And uh, when I when I knew I did the last thing I could do for it, it was like it was the vacuum. I was like uh, busyness. Yeah. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, I guess I'm done. I guess I'm finished. And it, was, yeah, it, it, was, it took a minute. <laughs> it, it really has this feeling of, you know, you're closing a, a, a bar, they're opening the light and they're starting to pass the broom and you have this <laughs> emptiness <laughs> inside. Uh, but yeah, as you said, it's the same thing with animation. I think it's probably the same thing with any art form. I mean, you have to let it go. This is something we, we were discussing yesterday in our Q&A session. Uh, an animator asked, when do you know when you're, if you're working on a shot, a personal shot, when do you know it, it's, it's over? If no one is there to tell you that you should move on. Uh, yeah, it's not easy you, 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 because it's never over. It's just you get to a point that like, okay, I've, I, I, this is all right in the way it is. And if I have the chance to do it again, I'm going to try to learn from my experience and do it better and, and differently. Well, the next thing you do is always, I think, more evolved and better than the last thing you did. But if you don't stop, you can't have a next thing. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you do. It is, I do think it is a, a thing that creative people need to learn and to make themselves do is to finish something that they started and do do something else because mm-hmm. you can tinker around with a story or with a shot or whatever you could but if but you if you want a body of work you and you and you have to be not afraid i suppose of letting something go and at some point many years down the line look back at it and go ah mm-hmm. i thought it was mm-hmm. but how else are you going to grow i mean how else yeah. are you gonna, you gotta, you gotta do other things. You can't just do one thing forever. You gotta move on. And so you, you, you pinch it off and you move on to the next thing. And that's what I've been doing these last two years. So. Was that a pinching, <laughs> that pinching gesture was like cutting the umbilical, I think. Is that what that was? That's right. That's what yeah. you do. Let it out. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, we touched on this a little bit and I will, I, there's a, there's a great question in, in, uh, in chat. We'll get to, in a, we have a couple in the, in the backlog from, um, from some of the uh, questions we got in anticipation for this chat, but uh, really quick, I just wanted it because I wanted to kind of, kind of complete my, my thought on this or my, my more, more like I'm, I want to get a better idea from you as to what it feels like on the opposite end, because we talked a little bit about all the risk, emotional risk and time, even financial risk that goes into putting the kind of time and energy into something that you may not actually know will go anywhere. And, um, but then of course, now looking back on it, now that it's complete and done, it's like now, of course, it's subject to the critique of others looking at it. And like, what does that feel like? Because I mean, like I mean, when you when you invest that kind of emotional energy into something that's very personal, is it difficult to uh, to deal with dissenting uh, opinions on on your film? Completely. Yeah, I have a friend, my one director friend, John Davis, who directed uh, Jimmy Neutron. The mm. film, and uh, he directed the Ant Bully for Tom Hanks, and right. uh, and he's been he's been a great he's been a great friend in that regard. And he made the Ant Bully, and it didn't do well. And uh, and critics thought there was some communist propaganda in it. I mean, uh-huh. it, it's just like, and there there's no doubt that I mean I, I what is it the it's a website called Letterboxd, I think. Okay where you can go and there are people in New Zealand sort of posting their just personal reviews about the film. And there's always, there's always people who don't get it, you know, and there, and, and there's, and you just like, that's okay. You know, but the people who do get it, because John told me, don't read the reviews, don't read the reviews. It's <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. But then I couldn't help it. I mean, when the New Zealand Herald, we were theatrical in New Zealand. When New Zealand Herald gave the film four stars, I'm like going, I got to read that review. I got to read that. Yeah, of course. You know, and and so I did, and it felt great. And I and so I'm like going, well, I know some people like it. You know? <laughs> and, and, and now I just need to ready myself for the fact that some people won't. Yeah. And, uh, but the fact that certain people were like, were like very attached to it and very emotionally moved yeah. by it. It's like, like they got it, right? Yeah. So it, I guess if nobody gets your film, maybe that's a problem. But yeah, you, yeah. But somebody's going to get it. In fact, a whole lot well, of people will probably. That's get it. it. Like you can't make everybody happy. So I, I just, I don't know, because I've never put together that big of a personal you know, project and put it out there into the world. I just, it's got to be a, a little bit anxiety provoking just because this? it's like. <laughs> How about this? I mean, like I, I keep. <clears throat> going on about my six-year-old kid he did this fantastic performance oh right I read, review yes. i read i read somebody's review so that kid is so annoying <laughs> <laughs> great yeah, man. yeah 
say what you will about me, but you take your friggin' filthy little fingers off of my friggin' like, you know, saying these nasty things about my daughter online. Like, forget about it. Yeah. And so, and so at that point, you're like going, all right. So, but you do, you, you absolutely need to have a resilience toward, you have to believe in your stuff uh, in a way that you're going. There are people, if I feel this, I know other people will feel it too. And, and you're, you're working for those folks. Uh, but to be honest, most of, most of, there's only a few criticisms that I've read that I'm going, ah, that's a good point. That's a good mm. point. So it's not mm. like, and as I ask, I, there's one thing I, they, somebody had a question about the end, Well, what about this? The end didn't address this. And I'm like, I made a, I made a choice to not mm. address that. And, now looking back, I'm going. Maybe I should have addressed that. Mm. And so that's okay. Uh, that's Hindsight's okay. 2022, though, right? Like it's like, yeah. how do you? Yeah, but the thing is, is if we're if we're so emotionally, we need to have. Uh, I think it was Guillermo del Toro said that an artist needs to have the heart of a poet and the resilience of a boxer. Mm. And if you just have the resilience of a boxer, you're an asshole. <laughs> Or you're you making, may be an asshole, yeah. Or you're making corporate, or you're making corporate, uh, you know, fodder. If you just have the heart of a poet, then you're too sensitive for the world, and you're never going to get your work out there because you're too scared. You need mm. to have both going on at the same time. You need to be have this resilience to you to where you can take a punch, and you also need to have this part of you that is uber sensitive, probably more sensitive than your friends, yeah, because you're a creative person. So get used to the fact that get used to that paradox because that you need both. You need to be uber sensitive in a way that probably a CPA isn't right. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need, you need to have the heart of a poet and yet you need to be able to take a punch, have this sort of objective part of you that goes, is that punch? Was that deserved in the sense that I actually, maybe I need to listen to what they're saying. Totally. And totally. then the other part of you that is like, screw you, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and, and you need to not, you need to have all that stuff active in you at the same time. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think makes you productive in the world. Otherwise you're, you're going to hide in a hole and do all your little drawings and make it all that's little right. stuff and no one's ever going to see it. Yeah. yeah. Delicate balance. That's for sure. I like the analogy of, of the boxer. So like you have to let some of those punches through, otherwise you don't grow. Right. It's yeah. like, but how do you, how do you in real time filter, which punches get through, which ones don't, it's not, <laughs> not easy. I mean, all artists have to deal with this. It's very true. Cause everyone gets critiqued. They usually have supervisors. Animators are always getting where their work reviewed and they, they have to come with that. They have to come up with that same kind of balance. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's jump over questions. If that's uh, cool with you, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go. Let's okay. start with the uh, backlog, maybe. Oh, okay. I was going to jump in with uh, the first one in chat, but we can do that. Okay, backlog. All right. So this first one here is from Joker Cletus. And um, it is quite straightforward of a question. How do you practice writing as a student? I assume this is maybe someone who's flirting with the idea of writing, either as, as a career or maybe as a side thing like you, but basically like, where do you even start if you're interested? Well, I'm assuming this is writing for screenplays, uh, but I don't I know. Would, yeah, I have the safe to assume that. Uh, so if it's writing for screenplays, read a great screenplay. Uh, if whatever movie you love, whatever movie you love, find that screenplay and read that screenplay. And you know, you know what you saw on the screen. 
you know, you have you have to sort of think of it backwards. Mm-hmm. You know why this moment worked for you on the screen. Now you're going to deconstruct it to the point to where somebody wrote that moment. How did they write it? And uh, usually uh, there's a formatting. There's formatting that is unique to screenwriting that's mm-hmm. different than other writing, and so you got to learn that that kind of stuff. But then also you uh, you have to learn. You basically are are writing in a different way than you write for anything else. Mm-hmm. You're trying to put the the general rule is that it's a page per minute of the film. And so you 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 basically are writing in a way that is going to put play a movie in somebody's head. So it ends up being very uh, choppy and almost a bit like haiku or poetry or something mm. that you're 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 describing something in a way that puts a picture in somebody's mind and the act of reading it was almost as fast as the act of seeing it if it were mm. on. So it's, it's a very specific discipline, uh, but uh, it the the best advice I could give you is to find find a read a great screenplay mm. and then start writing and and always have the other thing next to you. And so you're going is what I wrote just as compelling as this thing, mm. because if it's not, then you need to keep working and you need to keep working. You need to keep honing that craft because it, it takes the, the general rule is that you have to write a lot of shit, <laughs> you write one good thing. And so philosophically, I suppose, let's go ahead and get that shit out. So mm-hmm. we can write the good thing. Yeah. If, you never, if you never write the bad thing, then yeah. you still haven't done that and you can't get to the, So go ahead and get that out of you as quick as you can so that you can start writing the good stuff. But if you never start writing because you're too scared of uh, how bad it's going to be, <laughs> then you're never going to improve and get to the point where it's, it's actually pretty good. So. Need to take some some writing laxative to get yes. all that shit out as quickly. Yeah. I'm using a lot of bowel movement. <laughs> I like it. You're speaking my language. Um, okay. Well, you actually just answered. We got a two for one there because you just answered the second question, which was um, um, I'll bring it up just so everyone has the benefit of seeing it. But it was uh, exactly the question of how how does it translate a page um, uh, per like for for seconds or minutes of of uh, screen time, and yeah. uh, you already answered that a page per minute, give you or take. A page per minute, so that uh, uh, it's about 120 pages for a feature, and they usually knock that down to about 90 pages for an animated feature. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I guess like, and you already answered the first part of this question too, which is sort of like, I mean, how to great or write a great script is first understand how that the, the structure. I mean, I, I think another good idea probably would be to like, I, you might've said this, I'm not too sure, but, but pick like a favorite movie. And then, so the one that you know really well, and then read that script. So you can start to be like, oh, I see, I see how it translates. It's like, it's like, that's the blueprint to the film. And you need to kind of be able to compare and see how those two things sort of like uh, play off of one another, I would assume. Read, read the Shawshank Redemption. Read, oh man. Read, read the Green Mile. Read, yeah. uh, read, read these, these scripts that, are iconic now because they're so effective as a piece of storytelling and you you will find that that script is just as compelling as the film Mm. so how do you you learn the craft of being able to write that way yeah yeah um i'm going to jump back into chat here then because we have we can i'm going to go and grab uh, scott's question here so 
you've been talking about the ethereal and have been quoting some of my favorite quotes. So I have to know what are your favorite books and what do you have on your bookshelf? Oh, geez. Oh my God. Uh, well, I love me some Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> You guys know Cormac McCarthy? I, I, I know. I, I've, I've never read any. I know of. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he, I mean, his, the, his books that have been turned into films are uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Uh, Such is, a good movie. Is one, but he, uh, he, he's very uh, William Faulkner-esque. And uh, so he's, as far as that is concerned, he, he is just a fantastic writer and elicits all of these fantastic uh mood it's just such a mm. mood in what he writes oh, yeah. uh just uh, uh, on the other end of the spectrum i love uh gk chesterton and uh i love uh recently i've uh uh i, I mean I, i'm always a big uh, tolkien was is great if you love fantasy because what i think when people get into fantasy and animation tends to lean toward this and and effects driven sort of films tend to lead toward this. What makes Lord of the Rings still resonate to this day is because the book isn't about cool swords and battles. No, exactly. <laughs> it's about it's, it's about very awkward friends having to learn to be brave. Yeah. And ennobling themselves and doing things that they never thought that they could do. That's all that that movie's about. That's all that that book is about. And so the reason why we always return to those books is that they uh, they fill us with that sense of uh, of homeliness and yeah. coziness, and then moving out of the cozy place into the dangerous place, yep. and having to do things that are that feel way beyond you, and accomplishing yep. them anyway. And so that that's why we we return we return to that to that stuff. I mean, I you know you ask what books are on my shelf. I mean, I I I do a whole lot of of reading, but the thing that comes to mind if you're just looking for evocative sort of writing, Cormac McCarthy, Blood Meridian mm. film is a book that nobody it's unfilmable. Um, unfilmable. I like that. It's unfilmable, but it's a challenge. It will haunt the living crap out of you. That book will. Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, and. Uh, you know, I've, I've written, I've, I've adopted a couple of books that I love into screenplay. One is, uh, it's, a uh, the man who was Thursday, which is the steampunk spy mm. story written by GK Chesterton. It's fantastic. So get a, get a look at that. I mean, there's, there's, uh, yeah, but writing, uh, I, I recommend getting, reading something that is old, and uh, so that you're just not a product of the contemporary stuff that's coming mm. out. Mm. So if, if all, if your whole film diet or book diet is just current stuff, I think yeah. you're robbing yourself of, of getting some, of fortifying your imagination. Uh, so I, so for every Marvel film you watch, watch, uh, watch a man for all seasons with Paul Schofield, you know, a great film watch it it's a talky film Never but it's it. a great it's a great film and uh and and watch uh watch something that is that is not uh current popular franchisey kind of stuff read something that is different and you'll fortify your imagination and then when you return to what's popular you might could add more substance to it than what mm. we normally 
I've written I've written a lot of movies and uh, hired them writing movies that I'm like going I don't necessarily believe in this movie but my but what ends up being the thing that guides me through doing that is going well what if I made it better than anybody expected it to be mm. yeah what if we did that and yeah and, yeah and you do that but from drawing upon the sense of what quality is and you only know that by running into quality stuff and, and interacting with it so god forbid it'll be possibly fresh too like going going tapping into like much older material it'll just be like because things go in waves right like there's like the industry tends to get caught up in the same themes and it's like it's just prolific the same theme it's like it's, hollywood's terrible for this it's like there was like i remember that phase where it was like the natural disaster uh one where it was like all these movies were like about like um either floods or about the earth dying or uh a meteor coming to hit the planet they all came out like for the same year so it's like that's what happens things just sort of end up like spinning the around last, in circles the last film i saw that it seems like that this is an old film too but there will be blood is a oh, film yeah. after i watched it i it's clung to me like when you walk through a spider web and you're like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah oh yeah for sure for weeks i was thinking about that movie and that's yeah yeah that should be that's the kind of movies I, those are the kind of stories i want to tell is mm. i want to tell the sort of stories that after you watched it it's clinging to you for yeah. weeks. You're like thinking about it and you can't quit thinking about it. And what is, I need to go back and see that. Or there's a moment I missed. Oh, yeah. uh, there's uh, of course the Coen brothers are great. Uh, oh, the best. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix that you can watch right now is, is, mm. is Blood Simple is a great movie. If you've ever Blood seen that Simple, one. All, anything Coen brothers is well-written. Usually incredibly well-written and directed i mean just even if you just go into straight comedy if you do uh raising arizona it's, oh yeah it's getting better that. than raising arizona that's just the best you know yeah so. totally agree um okay quick follow-up question then uh from from scott here is how do so where is there a, a good resource online that people can go to get their hands on screenplays if that's the advice where is there a good place to get them like are they published somewhere yeah, there. I think there are several websites. I think that you can go to. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the. I don't necessarily go to these websites. I'm not even sure they exist anymore. But I, what, I always refer people to, to check out uh, uh, John August, uh, his website. Uh, he's got a podcast called Script Notes, and uh, but John August wrote Big Fish and and some films like that, and. If you go to he, I think he has a library of at least the films that he's written and there. But I swear, if you look up whatever screenplay you're look, whatever movie you like, if you look up blah, 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 script, PDF, something's going to pop up and you'll probably mm -hmm. find it, you know, somewhere or other. Yeah. Oh, you're muted. Oh, yeah, I, I hit my mute button by accident. Um, so yes, so John uh, Scott looks like he found um, a uh, he, yeah he riffed on what you just said there, and he already found a little treasure trove. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, we got uh, we're pretty much wrapping up. I think it would be probably a good idea to uh, to, to 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 thank you for your time um, right now. Uh, it was an honestly, it was a, an interesting and exciting journey. A kind of a roller coaster of types just to sort of get an idea as to what kind of world you've been living in to be able to produce um something uh that means obviously so much to you i'm personally i haven't seen the movie i'd like to go see it um quite a bit especially now having 
heard a lot of the personal parts of it. You know, it's like, I can't not, it's just that idea, this, this, this thought of you spending time with your daughter and making that maybe because I have a six-year-old. So I think that that probably resonates <laughs> with me. Um, and she, she, I would love to do something like that with her because it would be so cool. Um, I, I'm going to rush out, try to get my hands on it um, and see it. But uh, thank you for sharing that personal journey with us. It was awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if anybody wants to, it's coming, I promise you the film's coming to the U S uh, mm. coming. <laughs> but, uh, the uh uh the but if anybody wants to see clips or get a sense of the film if you go to uh the kirbyatkins.com website and then there's a tab for mosley uh yeah. it will there's lots of video and clips and there's stuff. also a mosley movie official website too i think you they could go to yeah is that is that is that a, a recognized official website or is that maybe I, not I, I don't know i think it was sort of abandoned by the, the studio oh, yeah. that put mosley it up. movie yeah so i think the uh so yeah there you go there's a link up there yeah. and if, if you go there and then to the mosley tab and scroll down there'll be a history there'll be you know story there'll be outtakes from uh the actors and stuff like that but there's awesome. also some clips that'll whet your appetite for uh hopefully this christmas yeah. it'll be uh everybody can watch it crossing the fingers. i would just want to say that everything that we described for reading a screenplay while you know we've watched a movie go anyone that is interested to do storyboarding go see those animatic once you've seen oh, the, yeah. the, the the movie to kind of see what is expected in the best case scenario from a production team of uh before you dive into production of how you put a story in, in visual form and audio uh that's uh, that's pretty great stuff uh, you can pretty much make a movie with after effects and photoshop yeah oh yeah just like this so easy yeah and, and and yet it very rarely happens that you go in production and you have such a well refined uh medium to rely on to so uh go go check it out for sure well thanks guys okay. I, it's been a blast obviously i could talk about this yeah. stuff forever so i appreciate you giving me the chance well, yeah. we're glad that you could talk about it forever. And um, I, I'd like to think that we can uh, drag you back in here at some point and um, have a, a rehash, especially I'm going to be very curious to see, uh, have a conversation with you after it does get that release, because yeah. uh, I think there was going to have some revelations to be had at that point. Yes. Um, and that would be amazing, I think. So it's going to be cool. Yeah, let's do that again after uh, you watch the movie, Brent, and we can start a discussion with, uh, so Kirby, about this ending? Uh, what? what? <laughs> yeah. Yes, please allow me to then personally pick apart the film. That would be really yes. great. I'm sure that would be very enjoyable for you. That'd be really great. Okay, well, thank you, Kirby. Awesome. Thank you very, very much. That Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, David, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, yep. chat, thanks for being here. We'll see you on the next one and enjoy the rest of your days. Cheers, everybody. Right, Bye, Kirby. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects, and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs, and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.